Hey, before we uh, jump right into this sermon, I have a, cu- a few, uh, few notes here I want to run by you, a few updates. First, if you would, look at your family news bulletin. Um, there's a lot of things going on, so make sure you read through that. But the one I really want you to focus on is this one, this little insert, End of Summer Bash. This is going to be awesome. It's today at 1 o'clock after the service. Um, there's inflatables for the kids, there's games for the kids, there's a sand volleyball court for the high schoolers and junior hires and adults, there's a soccer field, um, we have all kinds, face painting, all kinds of things going on for everyone of all ages, so make sure, it's not too far from here, it's only about, you know, five minutes, four or five minutes from here, right down Mesa Montgomery Road, so um, make sure that you join us for this, it's a great time of fellowship, connecting, and one of the people, people, the two people that you can connect with, uh, uh, David and Lauren are here. Uh, David is now our pastor of student ministries. They want you to stand up. And both of you actually stand up. Um, David is uh, here for the first time this morning, on Sunday morning. Make sure you get a chance to connect with these guys. I've told people in the first service to invite you guys to dinner, so you're going to be invited to dinner by a lot of people with students. Um, just to connect with them, get them connected to your students, great way to do that is just invite them over for dinner and hang out a little bit. Thank you guys so much. And they'll be at the, uh, the, the summer, end of summer bash after the service, hanging out. You can get to know them. You can build relationships. We have a lot of other new staff people coming in, so you'll be able to connect with them as well and just get to know other people within the church. Um, before we, we, uh, we finish here, I asked Dave and, and uh, McDowell to come up here uh, and, uh, and Jen to kind of share with you uh, what's going on, what's been going on at their house for the last seven years, uh, the impact group and the other impact groups that will be, will be kicking off. But Dave's going to share what's happening at the athlete impact group for a few minutes this morning. Good. Thanks, Jeff. Well, if the answer is athlete impact, uh, here are the questions. What is or what are 50 to 60 high school athletes in our home every Wednesday night? Uh, six to eight cases of Gatorade or water that are all chilled and ready for the post uh, practice workouts, uh, four to six pans of pasta that Jen cooks every week, or sometimes it's 20 to 25 pounds of chicken on the grill that she gets to cook for a couple hours, uh, and 25 different speakers every year during the school year that address the issues that high school athletes deal with with regard to competition, sport, coaches, parents knowing it all about uh, their sport and coming home and telling them what they should have done in that game. Uh, just all the issues that athletes face. And for seven years now, Jen and I have had the opportunity and the blessing to host athletes in our home and to deal with some of these issues. And we've been with Athletes in Action for 23 years, and so we have a great number of speakers, literally from all over the country or all over the world, that we've had come into our home and address some of these issues. So when they arrive every week at 6.45 to 7 o'clock, Jen's been cooking most of the day, but I'll let her tell you what the flow of the night is. Well, this year it's going to be on Wednesdays. Just make sure you note that in the bulletin. Um, and they come and hang out for a social time and eating for about 30 minutes. And then we do something, a game or athlete interview or something to kind of bring them together. And then the speaker comes on and we try to get them out um, by 8.15 or 8.20 because it is a weeknight. And that's about it. Well, hangout might be a little too simple. They've broken our ping pong table. They've broken our trampoline. Or we've gotten a new couch and new carpet because the red Gatorade doesn't real go, go real well with the tan. It's been a blast for us. It's been such a blessing. We've seen over 30 to 35 high school athletes end up playing co- collegiately. 
Division One to Division Three level, and it's been neat to, to see them as they've journeyed into the athletic world. So if you know any uh, anyone that would fit this profile, if you yourself would like to come, please come join us. Take, come with us our first week. We have a speaker that's been coaching all over the country. He just got back from coaching a team that competed against the junior national team from China. He's a state champion high school coach in Texas. Uh, two weeks from now, we'll probably have the NFL director for the pro ministry with Athletes in Action speak to us. His wife is a national champion gymnast. So every week it's something different. If you have a, a friend whose son or daughter is a high school athlete, please have them contact us and invite us. We are so thankful for this opportunity. Thank you guys so much. Say they have they have literally invested their lives uh, into this group and and it has paid off with so many students coming to know Christ and the impact they've had on people's lives that's a real sacrifice and when you when you have 50 imagine having 50 60 70 high school students in your house every week um, I know what it's like and your house gets trashed um, that's all there is to it but it's worth it I mean it really it truly is worth it for the impact that we're going to have on their lives um, the McDowells have had their group for seven years. Uh, we're going to be kicking off other groups uh, this, 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 uh, this fall as well. And in Mason Kings, Lakota East, Lakota West, all the different schools, Cincinnati Hills. So uh, make sure if you have a high school student in those areas, please make sure you uh, connect with us. We'll let you know when they're kicking off. We're hiring uh, part-time people who will be working with each of those groups. Now we have David Mead here to oversee the whole thing, so it should be uh, pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. All right. We are still in our series, Don't Check Jesus at the Door. Um, and I went to the movies, and one of the pre- previews I saw at the movies was uh, a preview for, uh, for Katy Perry's uh, new, new movie. And in that, in that preview, she was talking about the fact that she started out in church. Someone told me this morning, I haven't verified this, but they were pretty, they, they, you know, pretty reliable person, that her father's a pastor. I did not know that. But she said she started out in church and Christian music, and, you know, and, but she wasn't able to, in her, in her words, wasn't able to really express herself um, in that environment. So she felt like she had to walk away. And now she wears a little bit less clothes, and she's checked Jesus at the door. The song that she was singing during the preview that I saw was Fireworks. And I guess she didn't understand, or I guess she had in her mind, that she had to choose between the secular and sacred world. I guess she didn't understand really a biblical worldview that says things are either sacred or they're sinful, because I listened to her song, Fireworks, and I don't think anything's wrong with it. I don't think it's a, a sinful song. So I don't really don't understand why she's not able to play that in church. We can. Is this on? You know how nice it is to, uh, to come up with an idea when you're doing a sermon and know that you have uh, backup singers and, and band members um, who can do that? I mean, it's incredible. I mean, they practiced it this week maybe a couple of times, and to be able to pull that off. And that's my, that's my point. Why can't she sing that in an environment like this? It's not sinful. Nothing wrong with the song. You can glorify God with the voice that he's given you. See, I think that many people walk away from the Lord not because the church won't let them do this or that, but because they, they love the world and they want the world to love them. 
They love the world and they want the world to love them. Before I move on, I want to say this really clearly. I do not dislike Katy Perry. I, I, I love her. I think she is a person created in the image of God. Um, I don't know where she is spiritually now. I'm not questioning any. All I'm saying is that what happens in the world sometimes is that we look, we look out there and we say, I'm not able to use my gifts, my talents and abilities within this realm, so therefore I have to reach. It's not true. It's a mistake. You're going in the wrong direction if you're thinking that way. That's what I'm saying. So no one walk out of here saying that Jeff Greer, Pastor Jeff doesn't like Katy Perry. I've been praying for Madonna for years. I pray for people all the time that God would touch their hearts. If, if, she, if her father's a pastor, I don't know where she is spiritually. Maybe she just kind of drifted off for a while. But I, I'll bet, I thought about this this morning after someone told me that. I'll bet you 10 years from now, even 15 years from now, when she's run her course, if you will, as an entertainer, and life has handed her all that she can possibly handle, that the, that the grace of God, the open arms of God the Father will, will invite her back in um, as she realizes that she's kind of walked away a little bit and that she doesn't really have to. She doesn't really have to choose between her gifts and the Lord because the Lord gave her her gifts. Because what happens is people want to the world to love them and they want to love the world. They want to be famous. Nothing wrong with being famous. They want to be rich or they want to be popular or they want to be whatever. And they think that in order to do that, they need to check Jesus at the door. Somehow they have to walk away from him in order to go where they feel like they want to go. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it reminds us of this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For, for everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, before I move on, I really need to define world. This is important because I think this can be a little confusing when I use the word, word world because the Bible uses it in different contexts. So as I keep on talking about how there's no such thing as secular. You've heard this now a hundred times. There's either sinful or sacred. There's no such thing as secular. But you may, if you read this, the passage I just read, you see that or you hear that and you say, well, isn't he talking about the secular world? No, he's not. No, he's not. He's not talking about, for example, what he's not talking about is the world of people. And we know that because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. So God loves the world. He's not talking about the world in the sense that God created because God loves his creation. God loves that world that he's created. Satan created nothing. Satan can only corrupt that which God has created. God has created everything. Satan comes along and corrupts that which God has created. If something has been corrupted, it is called sinful. If something has not been corrupted, it is called sacred. You can dance unto the Lord. But there is a line that you cross in dancing, for example. We can have dance. We have a 40,000 square foot building. I hope our students dance their hearts out in that building. We have, uh, we have a, a dance floor that we have back over there. We can get another dance. We can do all kinds of dances. But there's a line that you draw where you can dance unto the Lord. And I don't I mean swing dancing. You do all just dance. Dancing's good. It's nothing wrong with dancing. But you understand what I mean when something goes, when something gets corrupted and becomes sinful. If it's, if it's not corrupted and God created it, it's sacred. 
If it gets corrupted, then it becomes sinful. And I think most of us understand the, the difference between the two. When he's talking about what he's talking about here is the realm or the realm of sin. We live not just in a physical world; we live in a spiritual world. So what's the, what he's talking about is the realm of sin controlled by Satan, which stands against God and His righteousness. So as much as he can, the evil one wants to corrupt what God has created, to distort and destroy what God has created. That's, the, that's, the, that's Satan's desire, to take the gifts, the talents, the abilities, all that you have to offer the world and corrupt those things and turn them, and turn them against God. When the Bible speaks of the world, it, it, is, it is referring to not the physical sphere we call the earth, Rather, to systems of thought, motivations, and ideas. Again, we're in a spiritual world. And so you get these, you get, it's not just the, you know, we talk about the earth, the, the world here. The physical world, it just people think, well, it's secular because it's physical. No, it's either sinful or sacred. He's talking about a world of, of ideas, systems of ideas that are against God, motive, motives and motivations that are against God. All of those things which stand against God. Love should define how a Christian relates to God and to those around him. Lust, on the other hand, characterizes people indwelled by a spirit of this world and the demonic forces that shape it. Satan is called the prince of this world. His desire is again to distort and destroy what God has created. We need to understand that. We can live in this world and enjoy this world to the fullest, but we need to understand that. James chapter 4, verse 4 says it this way. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Understand what he's saying here. Get his words very clearly. He says, you adulterous people, keep that word adulterous in mind. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's the Bible talking, not me. Very clearly defined. People, people love to throw out like fog and gray areas. Everything becomes, and the, the longer our culture goes on, the more things become gray. Everything becomes gray. Does that sound gray to you? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? If anyone chooses to be a friend of the world, they become an enemy of God. Friendship with the world means that you're standing against God. You are standing against God. If you're choosing to use your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your time for the world, then you're standing against God. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. It's very clearly, very clearly defined here. What James is talking about is spiritual unfaithfulness. I say that I am in love with God. I love God. But then I do, I, the way I live my life shows that I'm in love with the world. I give, my, I give myself over to the world. I give what I have, my time, my talents, my treasure. If I say I'm married to my wife, Debbie, and then I give my time and my heart and everything else to someone else, well, then you, could, you have to ask me, how do you define love? James is saying that we have, there's an unfaithful spirit. It's spiritual unfaithfulness. It's like cheating on your spouse. You say you love your spouse, but then you're with someone else. Someone else. Maybe one or two or three people, someone else, all throughout. How can you say you're, you're in love with your spouse if you're, doing with, if you're, if you're engaged with someone else? That's, what he's, that's exactly what he's saying here. It is spiritual unfaithfulness. To claim to be committed to God and his word, 
but then to, to have positions to have when he, on issues, to have positions that are opposed to God. <laughs> my, my friends, you, you're siding with the views of the world. You can't, you can't, you just can't straddle the middle of the road. You know what happens if you straddle the middle of the road long enough? You get run over. You can't be in the middle of the road. God is saying you're either for me or you're against me. You know, it's really easy to know if your views are aligned with God or aligned with the world. It's not difficult. All you got to do is open up your, open up the Bible. Here's, here's what it says in uh, John chapter 17 verses 14 through 17. Jesus says this, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. So Jesus gave them his word. As we express the word of Christ, Jesus says the world has hated them for, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Sanctification means to be set apart. You are set apart for God. When you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus, when you're, you're baptized and we go through baptism, we have so many baptisms this summer, you are sanctified, you are set apart. That's not part of salvation. Just understand that. You are sanctified, you are set apart. When you give your life to Christ, you are set apart for God. That's what he's saying. The truth. God's word is truth. We are set apart for him. If the world loves your points of view on different social issues, then you can be sure that your views are opposed to God. If you align with the world, if you align with the view, the thoughts, the motives, the intentions, the ideas of the world, if you align with those, then it's not rocket science. You can, you can be sure that your views are not aligned with God. You're not in alignment with Jesus Christ. We need to understand that. We need to understand that there's a clear dividing line here. There is no gray area. We don't walk around in, 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 in the swamp and the mush. We, we get out, we walk on dry land. Listen, I can be in the world, but not of the world. Every single person sitting here is in the world, right? You're, we're in the world. But that doesn't mean we have to be of the world. There is a huge difference between being in the world and of the world. I can enjoy, I can enjoy this physical world that God has created if I don't check Jesus at the door, you know what? I can enjoy it all. If I don't check Jesus at the door, I can sing and I can dance and I can play whatever sport and I can draw and I can paint and I can act. I can do all the arts. I can be a great businessman or a woman. I can make millions of dollars. None of those things are wrong. I can enjoy the pleasures of this life. I can enjoy all those things without checking Jesus at the door. I can use the gifts and talents that God has, in, has given to me to glorify him. But I need to understand, I, need, I can live my life to the fullest as long as I understand that I'm living behind enemy lines. That's what we need to grasp. We need to understand that as we try to live our lives to the glory of God and use every bit of the gifts, talents, and abilities that he's given to us, that we're behind enemy lines. Satan is our enemy. He's like a roaring lion wanting to devour us, to, to consume us, to corrupt us, to pull us back, to take that which was sacred that God created and turn it into something sinful. There's so many things that we can enjoy in this world. 
and that Christians for years have backed away from. Especially when music first started coming out, churches wouldn't let drums or guitars or anything else because the world played guitars. The world played drums. So therefore, they, we give them over to the world and we can't play drums or guitars or keyboards. They had a secular, they had a, a play, platonic mindset. When I mean that, I mean Plato. A secular, sacred mindset. So if they're doing it in the world, we can't do it here in the church. This belongs to God. These gifts and abilities, He created them. They belong to Him. All Christians are doing is is redeeming, taking back what belongs to God. In the arts, we need to take back what belongs to God. Why do we sacrifice and turn over awesome, amazing things that our children are gifted and talented at doing... And say, well, if, you know, you can, well, I guess you can't, can't do that because only those kind of people do that. Only these kind of people do this. That's ridiculous. It all belongs to God. If it has not been corrupted, it is sacred. You go to work every day and you worship God at work because you work unto the Lord, not unto men. You don't cheat. You don't steal. You are worshiping God at work. You can worship God on the field. You can worship God when you paint. You can worship God when you do sculpture. You can worship God when you act. You can worship God when you sing. It all belongs to Him. See, someone said to me, man, you're getting worked up the last couple of weeks over this stuff. I'm getting worked up. You know, the first, I'm not the, when, when someone pushes me, I don't go in a corner and go, oh no, what am I going to do? I push back. And I feel like the church, the, 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 the God, the, the, the world that God has created, the world that God owns, it's being pushed into a little box. I don't want to live in a box. The theology I'm teaching you is correct. If it is not sinful, it is sacred. It is all open for us to do and use to glorify God. And no offense to oh, some of these other people, these other singers who think they have to walk away from the Lord in order to use their gifts. They're completely wrong. And God, God, I mean this sincerely, God help them that they don't fall into such a trap that their lives are completely destroyed. Like poor Whitney Houston. Someone every one of us, most of us really, really loved. Incredibly talented person. But that incredible gift that she was, she was given was slowly corrupted and, and really taken from her, if you will. Taken from her. And then her life was taken from her. We don't need to check Jesus at the door, my friends. We can live our lives to the fullest. We just need to understand that we are behind enemy lines and Satan wants nothing more than to pull us down and take what belongs to God and corrupt it and destroy it. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5 through five says this, "...tells us how to stand strong under the pressures of the world." For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Listen to the wording here again. I, the Bible doesn't talk in like whimsical... It, listen, to what it's, listen to what he's saying. For the weapons, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, div- they, uh, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive, captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Not confusing. There's no confusion there. Strong, powerful, 
God is, Jesus Christ is speaking. God is speaking. Satan wants to manipulate our minds. He wants to manipulate our minds. He wants to confuse us. He wants to brainwash us. He wants us to believe like Katy Perry. that The only way we can use the gifts and the talents and abilities that God has given us if we become of the world. You really can't, you really can't truly express yourself. I think I'm kind of expressing myself, but you can't really truly express yourself unless you are of the world. Then you could really let it loose. Our kids are buying in to this garbage, this lie from the pit of hell, and we as adults need to under you need to understand what I'm saying theologically here. You need to own this and you need to pass it on to your children. Let them, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. What is your child's natural bent? Go with their natural bent. Show them. If they're an artist or they're a drama person, if they, whatever they like to do in the arts, show them that that's what a, a, a godly man or a godly woman can do. But you don't have to compromise the word of God in order to do it. Because if you do, it's really not worth doing. Don't fall into the lie. Satan wants to pour lies into our hearts and minds and lead us away from God. So how can we stand up under it? How do we stand up under it? Well, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us how. First, fight in the power of God. Divine power. Divine power. The devil wants to establish what? Strongholds in our lives. He wants to establish fortresses that, con- that will control us. When I, am, when I am put in a fortress, when I'm surrounded by something, if someone has a stronghold in my life, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, strongholds. You're fighting, all, you're fighting right now a stronghold. He has manipulated you. He has tempted you into something. And, and you fight it and you fight it. And he's got that stronghold. He's got that fortress in your life so he can what? Control you. Because every time you want to stand up for God, he says, well, you know who you are. Last night you did such and you've got to be kidding. God can't use you. It's a stronghold. So he controls you. That's his plan. Control us. Our hurts, our past. Something happens to you in the past you had no control over whatsoever. Someone abused you in some way in the past and he takes that and he weaves lies into the pattern of your life. And every time you want to stand up and you think you can be someone, he slaps you back down and says, remember, remember you could have or you should have or how could it, why, why would someone do that unless you were not really worthy or, or valuable or whatever else he lies and says to you. And so that's a stronghold. Habits that you have, temptations that you've fallen into different habits, maybe with drugs or alcohol or some kind of thing where you're stuck, He's, he has you there. Or, or, or personality traits that, you know, you weren't, de- you weren't designed and born to have some of the personality traits that you have. You need to kind of chip those away, but he keeps on feeding those traits. He keeps on feeding them and he drives you further and further and further away from God with these strongholds, with these fortresses. These strongholds, my friends, the, this is what Second Corinthians is saying, can't be just, it's not like taking out a broom and sweeping them out of your house. Open the door. Let's just sweep it away. It won't happen that way. There are strongholds. It won't be taken by a broom. And, and, and you can't just, you can't just shoo them off. Shoo, shoo. You know, if, a, if something's bothering you, some animal, shoo, shoo, shoo. They're not going to leave. If you just shoo them, they don't go away. You can't shoo a bear. Shoo, shoo. Go away. Go It's not going anywhere. If you ignore it, if you ignore it or you give a half-hearted effort, you will live in your Christian life a defeated, ineffective Christian life. 
You need to take the bull by the horns, if you will, through the power of God. The only way to break a stronghold is through God's word. And you say, well, here we go. The Bible and prayer. Yep, exactly. The Bible and prayer. It's exactly what I'm going to say. You want to break a stronghold? You need to know the word. Knowledge of God. First, Second Corinthians talks about, 10 talks about having the knowledge of God. How do you get the knowledge of God? By reading his word, by knowing his word. Only in studying the Bible can we demolish strongholds. I love the word demolish. See, the Bible is our guide. It gives us a roadmap to our lives. Without a map, it's so easy for us to get lost. I remember, first time I was in Ohio, my whole life was by accident. I, was in, I, was in, I lived in New York. I was 18 years old. When I, was, when I was in high school, my goal in life was to leave New York, really go to Virginia where my dad was, buy about five acres hunker down there and keep everyone off my property. That was my goal. I didn't know anything beyond that. Because, you know, I've told you this before. My philosophy of life before I was a Christian was I hate everyone I don't know and I hate most people I do know. That was my philosophy. Grew up, difficulties, that was what I thought. All of a sudden I came to Christ. And I didn't hate people anymore. I loved them. I understood why people reacted and did what they did. And now I knew if if they could come to know the love of Jesus Christ, it would transform their lives. And so that's what I wanted to give my life to. But I still, I wasn't going to go to college at that point. I was 18. I didn't want to go to college. And and, uh, so I was going to go to Virginia still, but I didn't really want to buy five acres of land and just sit in there. I wanted to share Christ with people. But that was my plan, so I was going to go. My mother got out the map, and she took it out, and I think it was Route 70, and she opened the map, just one page, and she said, yeah, just take 70 all the way down. She didn't turn the next page. That would have been good. So uh, I, I got on my Volkswagen, 1973 Super Beetle. Picture me, okay, in a 1973 Super Beetle with my dog and everything I owned in that 73 Super Beetle. Driving from New York to Virginia. And I'm driving along... On route, I just kept on the sign, 70. Oh, as long as I stay on 70. I got to stay on 70. I go along. All of a sudden, I'm driving. I'm like, now, I'm not good at directions, but I'm not this bad. Welcome to Ohio, the Buckeye State. I'm thinking, Greer, you're not, very, you're not, you're not the smartest person ever lived, but I don't think Ohio is on the way to Virginia from New York. And so I drove a little further thinking, Mom, she's got to be right. <laughs> she, she had a map. <laughs> And so I finally pull off the road because I'm just driving in cornfields forever. And uh, before I came to Ohio, that's all I thought. Ohio's just cornfields. That's all it is, cornfields. I pull off the side of the road and, and I walk into the store, real old country store somewhere in Ohio. And I say to the guy, he says, uh, how you doing there, boy? I said, fine, how are you? I said, can you tell me uh, how to get to Virginia? He said, uh, where are you coming from? I said, New York. <laughs> he said, Son, who gave you these directions? <laughs> I said, my mother. He goes, and this is what, exactly what he said. He says, son, does your mama love you? <laughs> I said, well, apparently not, man. I'm sitting here talking to you with a big thing sticking out of his mouth. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, so my mother didn't turn the page. If she had turned the page, she would have realized that actually that, street, that road goes all the way to California. It runs, I would have just kept on going, do, 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 do. Me and my Volkswagen and my dog all the way to California. <laughs> we need we we need to know 
the word to stay on course and demolish the strongholds that Satan has, uh, that has he's, that he's put in our lives. We need to know the word. You need to turn the page and know the word and turn the page. If you just read a little bit, you don't really know what's going on. I love people who say, oh, I don't believe in God, but I've read the Bible. Like somehow they read the Bible and came to the conclusion there was no God. You know, they always use it. Well, I've read the Bible. They haven't read the Bible. They have not read the Bible. Most Christians have not read through the entire Bible. So the person who says, oh, I read the Bible. No, you turn the page. And then you know what? You go back and read it again. And you turn, you read it again. You turn the page so you know the direction of your life. You know where God wants to take you. Have you ever seen a building demolished? Talking about demolishing strongholds. If you've seen a building demolished, a building gets demolished because you have the right tools. You need the right tools in order to demolish something, in order to bring something down, in order to push something back. It's not just about, you know, people say, well, I'm strong and I have determination. I'm, I am the most, one of the most relentless people you will ever meet in your entire life. But let me tell you something. It, my, what happens to me, if I'm going to demolish a stronghold in my life, it will not be because I'm so relentless and I'm so determined and I'm so strong and I have all this work ethic. It will become, it will come through the power of God in my life. And where does the power of God come from in my life? From the Spirit of God illuminating the Word of God. And through prayer, God is the one who can destroy those strongholds that Satan has on your life. Strongholds need to be demolished by the power and divine power of God. God has given us that power through his word and through prayer. And we need to own those things. We need to be on our knees. We need to, we need to, we need to truly draw from the, the, the spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead. That which lives in us. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Jesus Christ is sufficient to overcome everything you go through, but not through your own power, but through divine power. You know, without, without doing these things, it's, we're just kind of scratching the surface. It's like taking a stuffed animal and banging it against the Great Wall of China. It's not going to do much damage. You need to have the right tools, and the right tools are the God's, God's word and, and prayer. It says the knowledge of God. How do you destroy strongholds and, destroy, and bring them down? The knowledge of God. Second, and some of you really need this. If you can understand and grasp this, it will change your life. Excuse me, change your life. We also need to control our thoughts. Take every thought captive. Captive. There are those strong words again. Captive. You need to replace sinful thoughts with sacred thoughts. Philippians 4 gives us some instruction on the kinds of things that, that we can think about. In this passage, Paul writes about prayer, and specifically, he says, in verse 6, he instructs us not to be anxious about everything. He says, don't worry. Don't be worried and fearful. Don't let that control your life. Don't let worry and fear control your life. Instead, commit it to prayer. Pray about it. Pray about it. That's what, that's what he's saying. Pray about it. Give, God will give you, in verse 7, if you pray about it, if you, if you seek him, God, in verse 7, he says, will give you a peace that transcends all understanding. Peace, joy, contentment, all come from God. And he says, if you'll pray about it, don't worry about it. Don't let fear over it. Don't let fear consume you. Don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it. You pray about it. Don't let Satan have his way in your life. Pray about it. And when you pray about it, I will give you, verse 7, a peace that transcends all understanding. Paul said it. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
peace, joy, contentment. God says, don't worry about it. Don't fret about it. Don't let fear control you. Pray about it. And I'll give you a peace that just transcends all understanding. But it doesn't end there. In verses 8 and 9, we're instructed, finally, brothers, whatever is true, what should we replace it with? What should we replace those evil thoughts with? It says this, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So, so when, when, you, when you take a thought captive, when you take a thought captive, you seize it. Again, is what, when you think of seizing, do you think of, am I seizing something if I go like this? That's seizing something. When you seize something, what do you do? You seize it. You seize it. You take those, that's what he's talking about, taking those thoughts captive. You take them. You take that, that thought that is, that is evil. You take that thought that is, that is leading your mind the wrong direction. And when you take a thought captive, you seize it. That negative thought, you seize it and replace it by focusing your mind on the things that are pure and right and admirable and trustworthy. You replace those thoughts. You seize them in the power of God. When it comes to your mind, you, say, and you can say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I take this thought captive. God, help me replace it with something that honors you. Don't let me go down this road. When he starts to tempt you and pull you and entice you, you don't just go along with it. He just, he's, 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 the breadcrumbs are there and they're, reading, they're leading right into the oven. You take that thought captive. You say, replace it, Lord, with something that is admirable and pure and right and noble. See, part of the problem we face is some people don't want to do those things. And I'd love to sit here and say, well, here's you know, all these poor people out there. and all." The reality is they don't want to do those things. Like I said earlier, they love the world and they want the world to love them back. They flat out, they flat out want to check Jesus at the door. They don't want Jesus to follow them in their lives. They want to check him at the door. Some people, some people love, they just love to talk about how Christians did this or that, how Christians are hypocrites and how some Christian, you know, 10 years ago in my grandfather, in my life, and some Christian all these years ago did this or did that. They love that anybody who has a little bit of thought, they even bring up the Crusades. Whoa, the Crusades. Whoa. That's why I'm not going to become a Christian because the Crusades. My parents, my parents did this or this or this and that and blah. I'm sorry, but blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, 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 no. My parents this and you know. That's why they choose to live the way. It's your fault. If, you, if they didn't see you do such and such at work, that's why they've walked and they do the things, they choose to do the things they do because of something someone else did in their lives. Well, what Paul says, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Why is it that you pick the spiritual weaknesses of other people and you build your foundation, your spiritual foundation, on the spiritual weaknesses of other people? Wouldn't it make sense to build your spiritual foundation if you want to be a Christian, if you want to think about following Christ on Christ? Checking. Or if you don't want to build it on Christ, what you should do, follow Paul. Paul said, follow my example. He's bold here. He says, hey, you want, you, you want to judge something? Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. But no, no, you're not going to do that. 
No, 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 because you want, honestly, the reality is, and I, I will love you even if you think this way, but the reality is because you want to live in the flesh, because you want the world to love you and you want to love the world, because you want to go out and dabble around and do your thing. You want to blame your parents, you want to blame everybody else, but the reality is what you should really do is just man up and tell the truth. That's what you want to do. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 calls it like it is. It says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Its desi- Listen, its desires and thoughts. Captive, man, fortresses, strongholds, desires and thoughts. People want to fill their lives with their, with their own cravings their, from their sinful nature. You know, so what I'm saying to you is just stop blaming everyone or everything else. You're doing it because you want to. You desire that. And I think it's really, really sad because the sad thing is you're, you're giving up so much. And for what? The things of this world offer nothing long-term. They offer emptiness and hopelessness. Follow someone who's taken on the ways of the world. They may have, some of them may have survived, but what they went through in their lives, the misery and the suffering that they have been through in their lives is almost overwhelming. And the sad thing is so many people don't find that out until it's too late. You, 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 you pay such a heavy price in this life and in the next. But, you know, we talk about, oh, if you live this way apart from God, you're going to have, when you're going to get, when you're going to, where are you going to go, heaven or hell kind of thing. You pay such a heavy price in the next life. But listen, you pray, you pay a heavy price in this life. It offers you nothing. Gosh, I wish you could, I wish I could download every experience, every, every office discussion I've ever had with anybody, every time a kid was, was, was carried into my home who had been date raped by their friend because they got drunk at a party. I wish you could, I wish I could download all those experiences to you and say to you, this is what the world has to offer. It ends in misery and it ends in suffering in this life and in the next. What Katy Perry also doesn't understand, I'll close with this, what she doesn't understand, or maybe she does, but when she sings songs about worth, your worth, your, your value, what you, what you have value and worth, those words don't make any sense outside of a biblical worldview. My friend, if, there, if God did not create you, if God created you, you have value, you have worth, you have purpose, you have, there's a meaning to your life, and God will show you the meaning to your life. If there is no God, understand something. You evolved, you exist, you don't live, you just exist, and then you die. That's it. You, you, you think I'm wrong? Go read an old atheist. Don't read the new atheist because they have, they're delusional. Read an old atheist. Read, read, read Russell, okay? Nietzsche. Go, go. You want to you build your faith? You want to build your faith in Jesus Christ? Take your Bible and then take Nietzsche and Russell and put them next to your Bible and read, that, read, what they, what, read their writings. That will build your faith because they will say exactly what I just said. If there is no God, stop being delusional. That's their words. Because if there's no God, you evolved, you exist, and you die just like a bug or a worm. Stop giving yourself value or meaning or purpose because you have none. Those are the words of atheists. They're not my words, though I agree with them. Bow your heads with me as we close. For some of you, it is time 
this morning to change the direction of your life. You need to turn the page. You're on the wrong road. You need to read the rest of the story so you're guided and you're directed in a way that shows you who you truly are. Stop for some... I love you, and I, I'm trying not to be... I don't want to be like make you feel beat up or anything. I, before God, I really don't. But I want to be honest with you. And some of you need to stop making excuses. Stop making excuses and blaming everything else, everyone else, for the reason you're living your life. If you're living your life this way, it's your choice. You're making that choice to not live it in step with God. Stop loving the world and start loving God. It doesn't matter what your friend who's a Christian has done. Jesus didn't do it. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Follow your leader. Because only in him will you find your true self. Only in him will you find your value and your worth. Only in him will you have purpose and will this life have meaning only as you follow him. God, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would bless it. Change our hearts, Lord God. Open up our hearts and minds that we would follow you. We pray for those who are walking away from you right now, whether it be Katy Perry, Lord God, or anyone else. We love them. We know you love them with all of your heart. Show them your truth. Lead them back in step with you that they may glorify you with the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have given to them. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great day, and I will see you in a couple of minutes, actually, at the Coobs at 1 o'clock for a great time of fellowship.